On this podcast from the Discovery Institute's Center on Wealth, Poverty, and Morality, we'll examine the term social Darwinism. What does it mean and where did it come from? I'm David Bowes, your host. Social Darwinism was catapulted to the top of the nation's attention because President Obama recently denounced Representative Paul Ryan's budget proposal as social Darwinism. This congressional Republican budget is something different altogether. It is a Trojan horse. Disguised as deficit reduction plans, it is really an attempt to impose a radical vision on our country. It is thinly veiled social Darwinism. But President Obama is not the only politician who has used the term. As Discovery Institute senior fellow and director of the Center for Wealth, Poverty, and Morality, Jay Richards pointed out in a recent National Review, former Democrat presidential candidate Walter Mondale disparaged Ronald Reagan's economic policies by saying he believed in social decency, not social Darwinism. Here to talk about the origins of social Darwinism and what it means is professor of history at California State University and author Dr. Richard Weikart. When did social Darwinism start as a concept? Well, it depends on what you mean, if you mean the term or if you mean the idea of social Darwinism. The concept itself began with Darwin himself in the 1850s and 60s, but the term itself was not used until the 1880s to 90s. Uh, There's some debate about exactly when the first term was used. It didn't get used extensively, though, until the 20th century, especially with Richard Hofstadter's famous work, Social Darwinism in American Thought, in the 1950s, uh, which is when it really became a, a term that was used quite a bit. Is there a consistent meaning to the term social Darwinism? Well, there's a good bit of flexibility to it, but the basic idea is that human societies are governed by the human struggle for existence, and then a second key idea of it is that, therefore, uh, we should try to engineer our society, our political institutions, economic institutions, and such, in, in a way that would help promote those that are biologically best or fittest and lead then to those that are uh, biologically unfit to perish. Is that the more frequent use of social Darwinism? Recently, obviously, the president used social Darwinism to refer to an economic agenda. In the late 19th century, there was mainly two forms of social Darwinism. One was an individualist form, and usually that did take the form of arguing for individual competition, economic competition within society. But then there also was a a collectivist form of social Darwinism that argued that the competition took place primarily at a larger plane that is known as group selection, and usually that was uh, thought of as races in competition with each other. When people on the left and the right use the term, is it more frequent that one will use the term, as you first described, more about some kind of biological purity versus the economic concept, or how does that divide? Well, when Richard Hofstadter popularized the term in in the 40s and 50s, he was using it primarily to bash laissez-faire capitalism. So that has been one of the biggest ways that the term has been used, especially in discourse in the United States. A lot of my research has been relating to Germany and looking at the social Darwinist discourse there. And there, uh, it was tended to be more racially oriented. Uh, and of course, that fed then into the Nazis, uh, who were very staunch social Darwinists, who saw the main competition not being within society. Although they did, by the way, stress that also. They did, the Nazis did believe that there was competition going on within society. Of course, Hitler thought he was the cream of the crop. That's why he'd risen to become the, the, the Fuhrer of Germany. But the biggest emphasis was on racial competition. In Germany, that is. Very chilling, actually. And it also had some roots in the United States as well, did it not? 
Oh, yes. There were quite a number of thinkers that were uh, pushing a racist form of social Darwinism as well in the late 19th century. In the early 20th century, uh, Madison Grant, with his book, The Passing of the Great White Race, which came out in the 19-teens, was pushing this kind of agenda. But there were lots of other ones, too. Do you think that social Darwinism should apply to capitalism? Well, that's an interesting question, because what happened, interestingly, is that Darwin himself incorporated a lot of economic ideas into his theory. In fact, his key idea about natural selection came from reading the economist Thomas Robert Malthus, his essay on the principles of population, and that's what gave him the key idea about competition. And so there were economic ideas that were integrated into Darwin's theory from the very start. If you read The Origin of Species, you'll notice that there's a lot of different economic ideas that, that come through there. However, having said that, it's simply not the case then that anyone who is promoting those kind of economic ideas is necessarily a, quote, social Darwinist. In fact, they may not be a Darwinist at all. It seems kind of odd to me that a lot of people are being accused of being social Darwinists when they may not even believe in Darwinism. <laughs> There's really no evidence that they do. In fact, that's very often the case here in American discourse where people on the uh, right are being accused of being social Darwinists when some of them don't even believe in Darwinism at all. What kinds of things within capitalism would conflict with this idea of a, uh, a survival of the fittest mode? Well, if you look like at Adam Smith's writings and in other writings that are pre-Darwinian, a lot of them were held the belief that laissez-faire capitalism would produce a system that would bring equilibrium, that would bring the greatest benefit to everyone, that would result in cooperation. That is, one person would produce what they could produce best, the other person would produce what they could produce best. You trade rather than everyone having to eke out their own living. So in some forms of capitalism, and again, it depends on what form you're talking about, but in some forms of capitalism, the, the focus is on producing equilibrium, not producing you know, competition to the death. Social Darwinism implies, and the way that it was construed in the 19th century, it implies that what you're really doing is you're competing for who's going to get to survive and reproduce, because it's those that have the best biological traits, if you're a social Darwinist, that you're hoping will be selected in that generation and pass on their traits to the next generation. But a lot of people who are promoting capitalism are not promoting it for trying to improve the species biologically. They just believe it will produce the best economic system and the, and the best equilibrium in terms of economics. Yeah, best opportunity for all, actually, in, in many ways. Sure. Is it possible for religious belief and belief in social Darwinism to mix? Well, there certainly were people who uh, held some kinds of religious belief, but it's going to depend on what kind of religion we're talking about here. There were people, for instance, in the late 19th century in the United States, for example, who believed that God had ordained these laws of natural selection, and that therefore that these laws had divine sanction, and therefore we, quote, need to follow these laws and, and adjust our institutions to these laws. And, and in fact, there were uh, some Nazi thinkers that promoted some similar kinds of ideas, talking about how divine providence has you know, ordained the laws of natural selection, and so we need to go ahead and follow these laws and, and adjust our legal frameworks and our economic institutions and our warfare and everything else around these uh, ideas. So there are some kinds of religion, but of course, the religious ideas that I'm talking about here are not typically think of as more orthodox uh, kind of Christianity. When social Darwinism as a term is, is used, how does it account for the care for, say, the disabled or maybe the unborn? How do those concepts mix in? Well, a lot of the people who were promoting social Darwinism in the late 19th and early 20th centuries especially believed that those were the people that were going to get, quote, selected out. That is, those are the ones that were going to perish in the competition. And, and Herbert Spencer, for example, who was a social Darwinist, there's an interesting story behind that. Spencer actually believed in a lot of his economic things before 
Darwin came out with his theory, but Spencer did embrace Darwin's natural selection after Darwin published Origin of Species, and he did promote the idea that those people should, quote, go to the wall. You know, that's the whole idea is that the disabled, that these people are, are not going to be part of the next generation, and that's just natural selection. In fact, it worked in a whole variety of ways, too. I was just showing a slide yesterday in a talk I was giving at William Jessup University on my book From Darwin to Hitler, and there's Friedrich Helwald, who was a German thinker, has a illustration in his book about the history of culture where he shows Spaniards sicking their dogs on Native Americans. And in the text, he says, this is just natural selection, you know, get over it. That's the kind of social Darwinism that was sort of the racist social Darwinism that I was mentioning earlier. That seems to be uh, yet another reason why the term social Darwinism, trying to apply that to uh, modern-day conservatives or modern-day uh, free market advocates, uh, doesn't make any sense. No, because, uh, in fact, many of them are are wanting to help those who are disabled and unborn and, and such, whereas uh, especially a lot of the figures that I looked at in my research in Germany, but then also in the United States, many of them saw the struggle for existence in human society as being a beneficial process because it, quote, weeded out those people. Is there any misconception about social Darwinism that you run across in your research uh, with great frequency that you'd like to clear up? Well, there's a number of them, but uh, one of the more interesting ones that gets debated quite a bit is, was Charles Darwin a social Darwinist? And I've written uh, several articles that deal with that particular issue. And the uh, answer is that he was, although not as rabidly as some others of his contemporaries who took his ideas and ran with them even further. Uh, but he certainly was a social Darwinist in that he believed there was racial competition going on and that some of the races were going to become extinct. He talks, he has a whole section on the extinction of races in his book, and he, so he does apply natural selection to that. He also, just to give an example of where he thought public policy should be uh, altered in relation to uh, social Darwinism. He claimed that primogeniture, which is the system of allowing the oldest son to inherit all of the estate, was a bad system because the oldest son may not be the best biologically. So he thought primogeniture was a bad system. That's a, a clear way that he saw public policy should be changed as a result of his Darwinian insights. I also discovered in the 1990s a letter that Darwin wrote to Heinrich Fick, who was a, a law professor at the University of Zurich. And in that letter, Darwin says the trade unions are bad. And he mentions a few other things that he thinks are bad because they cut down competition. That concludes this podcast for the Discovery Institute's Center on Wealth, Poverty, and Morality. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting the Center's mission to connect the practical truths of economics with the perennial truths of ethics. Please go to discovery.org and click the Donate tab. This podcast is copyright 2012, the Discovery Institute. All rights reserved.